0: Hi, everyone. This is David Cohen, and I'm here with my amazing co-host, Brad Feld. Hey, Brad. And this is the Give First podcast. In the startup world, Give First means simply trying to help anyone, especially entrepreneurs, without any expectation of getting anything back. So we'll be talking to mentors and founders about what Give First looks like in action and how it makes great entrepreneurship possible. We polled everyone, and they said consistently that their favorite part of the show was the legal mumbo-jumbo. So here it is. The following discussion is an expression of personal opinion and does not represent the opinion of Techstars or any company we discuss. Our conversations for informational purposes only, including any mention of securities or funds. This is not legal business investment or tax advice and is not intended for use by any investor. Certain of Techstars funds own or may own in the future securities and some of the companies discussed in this podcast. Got it? Welcome to today's episode of Give First. I couldn't be more excited to have Alban De Noël joining. He's in Paris right now, and he moved from overseas to New York to join the Techstars Accelerator way back in, what year was that, Alban, Spring of 2013, I believe? 2013, yeah. Thanks for joining. Really excited to hear the story of Sketchfab, which is a company that you founded just a few years after finishing school, and you were interning, you were a magazine editor, and all of a sudden you decided to start this company. We want to share the story of that and sort of what you went through throughout the nine or so years until you had a pretty amazing outcome. So we started in
1: 2012 in Paris and it was pretty clear pretty early on that we were essentially first movers in our space. We built the first web-based 3D player on the market. So 10 years ago, we quickly realized that If we wanted to be number one and stay number one, we needed to have at least a foot in the US because that's where you have to be. You have to be present if you want to have a global company. And if you look at other media formats and publishing platforms, guys like Dailymotion started at the same time as YouTube, but they stayed in France. And then guys like Deezer started at the same time as Spotify, and they stayed in France. And we really didn't want to take a chance of someone else building this market-leading platform in the U.S. while we would stay in France, uh, applied to uh, Techstars, and that's what got us to move to New York.
0: And in the period since then, of course, Sketchfab today is a leading platform for 3D and AR on the web. Give us some stats. There's 6 million-plus members. How many models are on that platform today?
1: So 6 million members that we just crossed two weeks ago, 4 million 3D files, and we have, I don't know, 2 billion page views, which is kind of vanity
0: metric but it's still cool. And when you think back to that moment, just getting going, moving to the U.S. and participating in that Techstars program, what were some of the moments that you remember that really helped the company in, in one way or another?
1: Well, Techstars were definitely a uh, super key, A, as a forcing factor to come to the U.S. because we knew we needed to come, but we were not ready to just move to the U.S. by ourselves. And B, the program itself was just super valuable, both in terms of strategic insights, in terms of networking and connections. It's through Techstar that we met Turk and first Mark, who went on to lead our Series A two years after that, which was another key moment. And also key reason for us to come to the U.S. was that 10 years ago, the financing ecosystem in Paris was much less mature than what it is today. And we had no business model, we had, we had a very early technologies that was not entirely scalable back then, and so it would have been very challenging to raise money with VCs back in France. In the US, it was, it was not easier either, but seemed more doable. We also raised our seed round right after the Techstars program. So we raised with Balderton's uh, European fund and Partek in Paris. And I think having gone through Techstars really helped us get credibility. We, we needed to raise money with VCs as first-time entrepreneurs. And then, yeah, we kept the tech team mostly in France while building the business and the partnerships and so on in the U.S. And so whole uh, structure was really great because we had great technical talents in France. And then we learned some marketing and business jobs in the U.S.
0: And a lot has changed in the last 10 years or so. And as we record this, you know, Techstars has announced a city program, an accelerator program in Paris, Stockholm as well. Do you think that if you were starting the company today, probably be the wrong time to do it but if you were do you think you would have stayed there or do you feel that it was important or still would be important for someone to come to the u.s depending on what they're building
1: i think today i would definitely consider staying in france it depends if i were to start after those 10 years of experience because now I feel more equipped to be able to run this from France while finding the, the right people to lead the team in the US, for example. But the ecosystem is way more mature. We're starting to really have amazing success stories in France. A lot of those companies are half in the US, but some are fully European-based and we're really starting to see level of ambitions that are much beyond what we achieved at SketchUp. like a company gearing towards IPO and raising hundreds of millions of dollars and For me, when I moved to the US and we raised a $7 million Series A in 2015, with a US VC, there were less than 10 French companies who had ever done anything like that. It was just extremely rare.
0: And now it's like every other day. <laughs> yeah, a lot has changed. So winding back the clock, the Techstars program is finishing up. You were able to use Leverage Demo Day, really build your network, raise that seed round. Then, as you mentioned, in 2015, you were able to raise that Series A. Talk about those investors, how they were helpful beyond just the capital in sort of helping you grow the business in that time period.
1: So I think what's really interesting in both cases is that I met them two years before they wrote that check. It's it's really a key lesson to build a relationship ahead of when you need the money. And yeah, just keep them up to date. So I mean, at Techstars, you learn that you should send updates to all the network and all people interested in that. Yeah, we're really annoying about that. We make you do that. It's really important, (laughs) but I, I really wanted to make sure I was building a relationship with people who were really interested in what we're building. And I found that a good filter was to ask them for help while I was building the relationship, which helped in two ways. One was that if they were happy to help, like typically making intros to other portfolio companies or really making intros or either to portfolio companies or to potential hires or to potential partners like other platforms. A great way to filter is if they are genuinely interested, they're going to be willing to help indeed. And then once they actually start helping you by making that intro, they are de facto becoming investors <laughs> I mean, they're investing time into you, and so they're starting to put their foot into your company, and it's just a great way for them to start doing due diligence, even if you don't really realize it at first. But then, of course, they'll show you to this company from their portfolios. first thing they're going to do is ask the other founder, like, how did it go? Does the founder seem like a smart dude, and are you going to do something with them? And it worked pretty well in, with both of those relationships in that manner. You know, I think what you mentioned about, it was two years,
0: you met them as mentors in the context of an Accelerator and and time goes by. And two years later, you've built the relationship and that's when they invest in the company. I hear that over and over and over again with successful companies. They're always building relationships for the future, not just going to the market and saying, you know, we're raising money now and who wants to look, right? But rather, no, we're not raising money now or we're okay now, but we're getting to know you for two, three, four, even five years from now as we grow. And so the sort of development of those relationships and extension of that network is really a key lesson, as you mentioned. So around this time, you know, Series A, you were really focused on growth. From what I remember, it was all about how do we acquire users? How do we acquire more assets on the platform? And somewhere, I don't know, in the 2017 timeframe, if I remember correctly. You sort of switched that focus to how do we monetize this platform? How do we actually turn this into a business? How did that come about, and how did that transpire?
1: Yeah, well, it was a reality check. <laughs> we started Sketcher with this vision to build a platform for content creators to share their content. We weren't really sure how would this translate into a business. Before moving to the US, we actually started licensing our tech to large B two B companies who hasn't raised any money, and so just as a way to finance the company. And we quickly realized that if we were to do more of that, we would have no bandwidth to actually invest in the product. And so the only way to invest in the product was to focus just on that instead of selling the software. Then we came to the U.S. through Techstars, and then Techstars really helped us build this grand vision for this like market-leading company that is YouTube-style, winner-take-all, all the 3D assets on the world in the world, and all the content creators post on Sketchfab, and this content is going to blow up because of 3D capture coming to smartphones and because of AR and VR coming to market. Meaning there's going to be critical mass of demand and consumption of this file format. And then we were able to raise our Series A on this grand vision, which kind of validated that all that made sense. And then in 2016, I spent a lot of time in San Francisco in Q4 of uh, 2016. And I realized that a lot of the pieces I needed for this grand vision were more likely 10 years away than 12 months away. And so the free capture in smartphones was just not coming to market. And so it was only available in one phone that was a huge tablet that had 30 minutes battery life that Google didn't market at all. We were just entering the, the VR winter. So like a lot of VR companies were dying and. The sale figures of VR headsets were just like super, super low, like in the thousands of units, whereas it was pitched as the next iPhone and there was just no traction at all. And AR was not in sight at all. I realized there was no way I would be able to build an ad-based business and an audience big enough to support an ad-based business in a timely manner, which meant I had to monetize the technology and the content and essentially switch to more of a Vimeo type of execution at least on the short term, and didn't mean that the YouTube vision didn't make sense 10 years from now, and so we we did want to preserve the optionality of evolving towards more of that. But in the short term, we either needed to raise a lot of money or to start monetizing. And then we realized that if we start monetizing and it doesn't work out, we won't be able to raise money, and so we should try to raise money first. And so (laughs) we We tried raising a Series B. At the time, we were making zero revenue with great traction for our space, but definitely not consumer traction. it's to raise a good Series B purely on traction, you just need like YouTube-like traction, and we're like 1,000x below YouTube traction at Series B stage. And so I pitched 120 VCs at least, and I got 120 nodes. Then we went on to monetize, and we got lucky because we still had a bit of time, but we delayed monetization to try to raise, and we should have started monetizing right away. But anyway we were able to raise a bit of additional capital from our VC, like we did an extension round of our Series A. And so this was a, a good occasion where you always hear terrible stories about VCs just not being ready to bridge. And it makes sense if they see you're not going to be that unicorn and we're making zero revenue and and our plan to make revenue is not like crystal clear. Why would I dump another million or so in, in this company? But we kept having traction and growing, and it was clear we had a market fit and something was happening. And then we had a great relationship with our two board members, and we were very aligned on the strategy. And so I just pitched that with this additional capital, it would be enough to to reach profitability. And then from there, we'd have ultimate freedom of unlimited time, essentially, being Im- immortal. And so it was early 2018, and then we started monetizing. We tested a number of things, but mostly started implementing pricing for B2B use cases, like companies using the player for e-commerce and private sharing and things like that. And then we started, we opened up a marketplace you could buy and sell free assets. And yeah, it was a huge shift. And so we completely shifted from checking every hour Google analytics and our KPIs of user numbers and so on to just checking the bank account and the dollars and the PayPal accounts and. Most people who do this shift do this too late, and they do too little too late. And and at the time, we're burning like almost four hundred thousand bucks a month with zero revenue, (laughs) and it was tough. And we're thirty people. And in three years, we stayed 30 people for three years. So flat cost, and we just grew and grew and grew the revenue. And in three years, we reached uh, profitability and we, we reached the plan.
0: <laughs> Immortality, yeah. It, it is a difficult maneuver that you're describing. And I remember during the Accelerator talking about the YouTube for 3D, right? But the world didn't keep up with your vision. The hardware didn't keep up. The technology that you needed outside of your own platform didn't go as fast as everyone expected. And so when you sort of, in that 2017-18 timeframe, decided let's monetize what we do have, to figure out how to stay alive. That's very hard to do, to go through as a shift. And I'm sure it took some different people. I'm sure it took some investors who believed in what you were doing. And, you know, amazing to sort of see it hit break even in three or four years and then become profitable. That then led to, you're able to continue growing the user base, the assets, and and now you have a sustainable engine to do that with that, as you said, makes you more immortal, harder to kill at least. And then what happened in 2021? Talk about the relationship with Epic Games. They come along, they get interested. Had that been developing over time? And and what sort of led you to that outcome of actually selling to them?
1: Throughout the years, we've always had you know, Kimba on the false source for discussions of that type. We're really excited by what we're building and, and it kept growing. And so... And none of those discussions were really interesting, either from a financial standpoint or from a project and strategic standpoint. And then when we reached profitability, it really changed the the dynamic of of leverage of this conversation. So it became very clear to the world that we were having a great momentum. We always had good momentum. And the nice thing is that not only did we reach profitability, we also kept, we didn't hurt uh, growth much by doing that, and so the non-revenue generating numbers kept going up, and we kept doing more integration and partnerships and so on. So yeah, I guess we we became more visible and got more in the radar of a number of people, and we we were not particularly looking to sell as a company, uh, but we were open to discussing with people we we got along well with, and when there were was clear alignments and. SketchUp is a lot of things, but but at the very high level, it's a piece of technology and a library of content. And most people would talk to, be it potential acquirers or even VCs, they would get only one of those two pieces. And like you're like, you should just be a B2B SaaS player, or you should just be a marketplace, or we want to buy you just for the technology, or we want to buy you just for the library of content. And it was clear that Epic could see the value of, of those two things So Mark, who is my boss now and my sponsor at Epic, as he's also French, I've known Mark for almost 10 years, pretty much since starting the company, and before he joined Epic. And so we had this good relationship going on. We'd always stayed stayed in touch for the years, and we'd typically catch up every every six or 12 months. And yeah, we synced up around that time of good momentum for us. And it it arrived at a time where they had strengthened there are tesis around a number of things we're doing, and typically the web that they hadn't really embraced before that. And then, of course, I mean, the need for content is when you want to build the metaverse, you're going to need some content to populate it. And so it was it was very obvious fit. And then Sketchfab is a rendering engine, and so you know like, you have Sketch you have the technology which is the web equivalent to what Unreal can offer, but with the reach of the web. Then you have the content which can populate. The virtual world and not only within epic but every, everywhere else. And so we're first I had a, a very good relationship with Mark and the uh, and so same thing built throughout many years and, and so I was already a, kind of an open book for him and and again it didn't start from nowhere. and so we already had a relationship of trust and all that. And then I mean the fact that was French is also helpful because you, know, you have this uh, social layer and an understanding that is only possible with people from, from your country. And then, yeah, there was very clear strategic alignment in what we're building. And they were also very happy and willing to have Sketchfab keep operating as a standalone company, which for me was super key as well because we love what we've built. And I think if we had sold to someone else or if we had sold sooner with less critical mass, most of the big tech companies would have wanted to remove the platform and just get the tech here and then the content there and then the team in another place. And in this case... Sketchfab is awesome, we're just not going to touch it. And you're going to keep running it, which is going to have an amazing amount of resources. It was hard to say no, essentially. Ultimately, that's what it usually comes down to,
0: hard to say no. I mean, you, you've got that immortality you were after is still standalone, but but the ability to use more resources, to have what you're doing in the hands of more people in the world, which is always awesome. You've got liquidity, right? It, it's sort of hard to say no. Mm-hmm. As you tell that, that story arc of, of nine years or so, over and over again, I hear about the relationships that you built that that are long in their nature that build trust over time. Even with those VCs who backed you through the difficult moments, right? The sort of pivot, if you will, to monetization and the model. That doesn't happen without long relationships and, and a lot of trust. So would you say that's been one of the biggest keys, or are there any other lessons that you would want to share from your experience with entrepreneurs who might be listening today?
1: Yeah, relationships. And I mean, it's also related, related to resilience and perseverance and just the concept of good things take time, particularly through human relationships. I mean, doing this when there is nothing in return. So like you're going to send that update, even if you don't need money right now and asking money when you need it is just the worst time to do that. And you hear a lot about startups winding down and and the turnover and so on, and that for large customers, it's hard to trust startups because they don't know if you're going to be around in next year. I've discovered there is a huge turnover in large companies you know like Google and Facebook and Microsoft and I spent a lot of time building relationships relationship with all those companies as partners because we' we were essentially integrated with all the big tech giants. I would spend four years building a relationship with person, and then they would switch to, to another of those guys, and they're like, shit, I have to start from zero. Initially, you, you see the downside of having to start from zero at company A, and then a few years later, you realize that at company B, you have this ally that has been your friend for six years now, and you realize it's super important that you stay in good relationships with these people. And even now, post-acquisition, I mean, a key part of what we do is being friends with everyone, integrated everywhere for both upload and download. We have hundreds of integrations. And very early on, we have exposed our APIs to, to make it possible. And I was a bit worried post-acquisition that it would be harder to maintain those relationships and grow them. And uh, no, it turned out that the combination of uh, Sketchfab and Epic was very well received by the community. And our partners had built a good enough relationship with all those partners that they are, they are happy to maintain the relationship, which is nice.
0: Well, Alban, it's it's an amazing story. Thanks for sharing it with listeners on the Give First podcast. Thanks for taking the time. And congratulations to you and everyone involved, your whole team. I know it takes a, a large community to make these, these kind of outcomes happen. And uh, enjoy your time in Marseille. Thank you. And thanks for all the support of Techstars Network across all these years. Thanks a lot for listening to the show today. We'd love to hear your feedback, ideas, or who you'd like to hear next on Give First. And please leave a rating and review, ideally a good one. And reach out anytime to podcasts at techstars.com or on Twitter, I'm at David Cohen. See you next time. Don't forget, Give First.